0: Turn with me to Luke 12. Now, I've been uh, looking at the teachings of Jesus uh, recently. Um, I find Jesus the most radical preacher there is. I mean, when you read those words in red, they just sock you right between the eyes. I mean, it's no messing. It's just like, bam. Um, I think we ignore half of it. At least I do. I read it goes really? I don't do that. Um, So I want to give you some really challenging teaching this morning because I'm going to give you some teaching around uh, what Jesus was saying uh, when he was on this earth. Uh, But before that, I just want to pray and make sure we're in the right place. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you come and teach us this morning. You are the teacher. Come and reveal truth to us this morning. Speak to our hearts where we've got uh, closed minds to things, where we've got scales over our eyes. Father, I pray that this morning you would take them off. And Father, where we've made excuses for not doing your word, Father, I pray that you would uh, prod us in that direction. The Holy Spirit, bring your conviction, bring change, bring transformation in, into our hearts this morning. Lord, let us be transformed into the very image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Let us be transformed from glory to glory. Let us not stay the same, but Father, disciple us into our destiny. In the name of Jesus Amen. So, yeah, this is uh, quite an interesting one. I did bring it towards um, uh, a team meeting a a while ago, um, but I just saw something in Luke 12, which got me going on a real rabbit hunt around the Bible, and it is... Hold on to your seats, because I think it's quite uh, audacious. Uh, Luke 12, verse 13, Jesus... uh, No, not Jesus. Someone in the crowd said to him, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me.'" And in verse 14, "'But he,' as in Jesus, said to him, "'Man, who appointed me a judge, an arbitrator over you?' Then he said to them, "'Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions.'" Now, often we skip to verse 15 when we look at that passage and think, well, the guy who came to Jesus was greedy. But that's not what Jesus actually says. Jesus uses this example of this guy coming to Jesus about a dispute over the inheritance to teach about greed, but he never says the guy's actually greedy. It's very interesting because Jesus says this, man who appointed me a judge over you? He never said, you're in the right or you're in the wrong. He ignored it. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. Instead, he brought some teaching about greed, which we'll get into in a bit. So imagine this. You're in a job, and you're feeling very hard, died by, hard done by in your job because you don't get, you think fair pay for what you do. You don't get fair holidays for what you do. You don't get the recognition for what you do. Your boss just ignores you. And you're there in, in prayer to Jesus and you're saying, Lord, look, can, can you talk to my boss for me? Because it's just I'm not getting fair treatment. I, I, I need more money from him. I, I, I need better pay. Lord, I'm coming to you. And Jesus says, not listening. Got nothing to do with me. That's tough, isn't it? But that's what Jesus said to this guy. He's got nothing to do with me. I'm not going to judge over that. Or maybe you're in a court battle. Maybe it's about divorce proceedings or an insurance claim. And you pray to God, God, can I get my just reward from this situation? Can you speak to the judges or to the jury and make sure I get my just reward? And God says, "Uh -uh, not my problem. Or as I see it, he says this. Talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. <laughs> it's giving people the brush off. I'm not going to get involved in that. Now, to understand this, you need to understand the gospel. To understand why Jesus is doing this, you need to understand the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now that bit, believing and get eternal life, we're going to get to in a bit. But then John 3, 17 says this, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge. God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but to save it. Jesus never came to judge the world. There used to be an age of law. The Age of Law was really good when it came out. It was, it was uh, Edition One, and uh, Bible Edition One, and it was really good because it was it brought order and justice into an unjust world. So, if someone stole a sheep, rather than you saying, "Right, I'm going to make sure I make this person pay so that they won't ever steal a sheep again," I'm going to steal all their sheep. The Bible says, "No, you can't do that. But you can have one sheep back. Whatever they stole from you, you can have one back. An eye for an eye." That was justice. That was under the law. You can have justice. But when Jesus came, the age changed. The season changed. As Paul writes it in Romans, we are now in the age of grace or we're in the age of kindness. We are in the age of mercy and forgiveness. And the old rules do not apply, thank goodness, because all are sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and to to get to the nub of it, to be really blunt, we all deserve hell. That's the gospel. We all need a saviour. God just has to convince us of that and realise if I don't have Jesus as my saviour, I'm going to hell. How did Jesus save us from hell? He died on a cross and he took every sin and everything that you've ever done wrong and he paid the price for it on that cross. And while he's there on the cross, he says, I forgive you that's the gospel. Let me change this one. It might be, uh, there we go. The gospel is this. I don't get what I deserve. And thank goodness, I don't get what I deserve because my Jesus is a God of grace who gives me what I do not deserve. That is the New Testament. That is the age we live in. And we know from our our creed, at least I believe this is what we believe, one day Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. One day. Maybe today. I don't know when Jesus is coming back again. But until he does, he's not judging. He's waiting that for the day of judgment. We are living in a period of grace, of mercy, of kindness. Then Jesus says this. If you believe in me pick up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? Pick up your cross and follow me. What did it mean for Jesus? It meant for Jesus, I'm going to take the punishment for everything and anything you've ever done wrong and I'm going to forgive you. Now maybe this is a stretch, but could he be saying the same to you? When someone wrongs you, When someone does something bad against you, do you just take it and forgive? So someone borrows your car, and they write it off, (laughs) and they can't pay for it. Do you just get it done on your own insurance, or pay it out yourself and forgive? It's not just forgiving them. Are we expected to actually take the punishment as well? It's an interesting question. What did Jesus mean when he said, turn the other cheek? Well, one side was when you got slapped, and then you turn it for the other side for the slap you can give to them. That's, that's law, isn't it? An eye for an eye, a slap for a slap. But under grace, you get both slaps. <laughs> it's tough. I, I'm looking at this and thinking, this is tough. Did you really mean that, Jesus? Now, we cannot pay for someone's sin. Jesus did all that. But we are supposed to be people who forgive and show grace. Let me remind you of a story in Matthew 18 where Jesus talks about a king and says, the kingdom of God is like this. There's this servant who owes this king a lot of money. This servant cannot pay the king the money he owes. So the king, out of mercy and grace, forgives the servant the sin, forgives the servant the debt, and releases him from ever paying it off again. This servant then goes and finds someone who owes him some money, and he says, pay me what you due, what is due to me, and when he can't pay, he puts him in prison. What happens? The servant gets called back up before the king. And the king rescinds his pardon. And puts him back in jail. What what did Jesus say about forgiveness? If you do not forgive others, I will not forgive you. What is the gospel? How are we supposed to live? I've noticed as I go through the New Testament... But when someone accuses someone else for doing something, Jesus ignores it. So when Martha accuses Mary for not doing a fair share of the housework, Jesus goes and talks to Martha and says the inadequacy of Martha. When Peter and John are there at the end of, um, just before Jesus is going back to heaven again and And Jesus reveals to Peter that he's going to die. Peter wants to know, well, what about this one? What about John? Surely he gets the same treatment I get. And Jesus says, it's none of your business. Nothing to do with you. See, the gospel is this. Jesus paid the price for me, and now I am set free. And now I have to model that to a hurt and dying world. very quiet. I wonder, are these cogs working? You see, you and I deserve death, but Jesus gives us life. So when Jesus is saying, talk to the hand, he's saying, talk to the nail-pierced hand. So when you're saying... Oh, I deserve justice in this situation, Lord. I come to you because that person needs to give me justice. I need justice in this situation. Jesus says, speak to the hand. I paid for your sins. I paid for your debt. And I expect you to carry on likewise. Because we are being transformed into the very image of Christ. I've got another verse here which, which perplexed me for a while. Two Corinthians. Actually, I wrote the wrong verse down because I was doing it during the worship. Let me tell you what it says, and then someone can tell me afterwards where it is in the Bible. It says this. that we, Jesus taking our sin on the cross, paying for our sin, has made it so that we become the righteousness of God. So Jesus over here pays for everything you've ever done wrong. What's the transformation? We, as his followers, become the very image of God, his righteousness. What is the righteousness of God for us in this age of grace? I pay the price and I forgive. We are becoming that. So whenever whenever you accuse someone of doing something wrong to Jesus, say, hey, do you know what Brian said about me the other day? He he needs to shut up. Or you know what? What? what Mark said to me and and how he's treated me, Jesus, look at you and he's looking at you like this. He's saying, why are you looking at the speck in your brother's eye when look at the whole plank I've forgiven you for? Don't you remember I had to forgive every sin? What's that in comparison? What is that in comparison? Speak to the hand, the nail-pierced hand. So if I go back to, to Luke, Luke 12, just checking the time, Luke 12, and he says, "'But he said to him, "'Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you?' "'Then he said to him, "'Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, "'for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions.'" So this guy goes up to Jesus, and he wants judgment in his life. He wants some more money. It might have been a lot of money. It might have been a little bit of money. We don't know. This guy has an opportunity to have some face time with Jesus. And what does he bring Jesus? A civil dispute. Jesus is there, the author of eternal life, and he's saying, what? Irrelevant. I'm not even going to talk about that. It's just just nothing. It's just Irrelevant. It's not that God doesn't care for your life. God cares for every single part of your life. Everything that hurts you, everything that, that, that people do to you, God cares about. He even knows how many hairs are on your head. And for me, that's quite easy. But for some of you, it's quite hard. He knows how many hairs are on your head. But if we just skip a bit in, in Luke 12... says this in verse 28. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And then it says, don't be afraid, little flock. For the Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Our Father is a generous Father. you know what? Our Father loves it when we prosper. But God can prosper us in any way. So this man has gone to Jesus and said, there's a whole lot of money there. God likes me prosperous. I want that bit of money. God can deliver your prosperity in any way, shape, or form he chooses. He doesn't need your employer to pay you more. He can make your bills lower. He could put brown envelopes through your door. But when you decide that your problem, your need, is someone else's fault, there's a problem. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Wait a minute. No, you have the fault for your sin or your fault for your lack. is not someone else's problem. If you seek first the kingdom, if you seek first God, he will meet every one of your needs. Every one of your needs. That's his promise. But let me get back to what I was saying before. Jesus made a great statement on two commandments. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And he said that the second commandment is love your brother as yourself. And these two are just as important as each other. That's what it means. Just like, just the same as, equal to when you go through the New Testament, you find that the, the gospel writers and then the epistle writers drop the first. And they just talk about loving your brother. They just assume you're going to love God. They say you're going to need to love your brother. So much so that, that John writes, the law is fulfilled in loving your brother. The law is fulfilled in loving your brother. How did Jesus fulfill the law? He died on the cross for the love of his brother. What do you do to fulfill the law, your obligation? What do you do to love someone? You go the extra mile. You put yourself out. You don't, go, you, don't, you don't treat relationships as I need to get what I can get. In fact, Jesus said, this is my commandment. Love people as I have loved you. How did Jesus love you? He laid down his life for you. Then he says, now you go and do likewise. Now, I know this is tough. This is really tough. Wait you can hear my next verse. Let's go to 1 John with me. 1 John 3. I am getting somewhere. 1 John 3. Verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to, To lay down our lives for the brethren. Who did Jesus say your neighbor was? Whoever you come in contact with. Good Samaritan story. What is is the gospel? The gospel is this. God paid for every sin, everything that's ever done for me, and I forgive people. And he forgives me, sorry. And then I'm transformed into the very image of Christ, and I become just like him. What was Jesus like? He pardoned people. Now, some of you are thinking, wow, this is, this is very costly. This is very costly. Let me just bring you to another verse, Luke 14, verse 33, and I'm going to tell a story and then we're going to have a response to this. I think we've sold the gospel cheap. If you just love God, that's it. Well, yes and, and no. If you love God, then you will love your brother. And and how do you love your brother? Well, you lay down your life for your brother or your sister. 14, verse 33, Jesus says this. So then then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. I told you Jesus was right there in between your eyes, socking you on. Unless you give up everything, you cannot be his disciple. Okay? So when Jesus asks you to do something for someone else, and you go, wait wait a minute, that's mine. No, it's not. If you're his disciple, you have no possessions. If you're his disciple, all your possessions can be used for the righteousness of God. To make right the wrongs in this world what did the early church do? They used their possessions and everything they had to make right the communities they were living in. Anyone who had need, they helped. And and through that, the gospel was spread. What you have is not yours. It's his. If you're his disciple, what did you say? Jesus, be Lord of my life. Oh, but but not my bank account oh, and, and not my TV watching, and oh, not, not this I get up to over here, which I don't even want you to see. Everything is his if he truly is Lord of your life. That was the price you paid for him to pay all your sin off. I, uh, there's a YouTube video called Drummer Boy with me when I got prayed for it with David Morris. Changed my life that night. Now, I, I was getting off, i have been playing drums, and, and I was walking down the, the platform, down the steps, trying to get to my seat, because Nathan was, was on preaching, we'd been worshipping, the worship was so immense, but you know, I just felt the presence of God, I just thought that was normal, and uh, I'm really struggling to walk, I'm like this, and Jarrah's on the front row, so come on, sit down, quickly, come on, sit down, what are you doing, and I'm like, I'm trying as hard as I can, I'm just, under the presence of God, I'm just walking, so, you know, Nathan sees this, so he pulls me out and prays for me, and that's, that's one thing. Then I eventually crawl myself back to my seat, and God just starts speaking to me. And he starts speaking to me about all the plans he has for my life. And then, he, and then this came into my thoughts. It will cost you your family. It wasn't a hypothetical question to me. It will cost you, your family. As soon as I said yes, Nathan turned me around and you'll see the video of Drummer Boy. He gets whacked by the Holy Spirit. But what you don't know is before then, I basically put my family before God and said, it's you, the head of my family. If I have to lose my family to follow you, I will. We have people in this congregation who have lost family because they've become a Christian. We have people here who can't go back to their family because they may be killed if they do. We have people here who found Jesus in their marriage and then they've lost their, their wife or their husband because they wanted to follow Jesus. The disciples said this, we have given up everything, families, kids, wives, to follow you. I know this when I'm making this decision, I'm going to follow God even it cost me my family. That was the birth of something completely miraculous in me, completely changed my life around But as I'm driving home, I'm thinking, what's going to to be waiting when I get home? Am I going to come home to an empty house? Is there going going to be nobody in? Hebrews 11, verse 6 says this. To please God, you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So my family life has never been better. Issues we had before, one or two, you know, contentious arguments we would have and subjects disappeared. My, my testimony is my marriage was better because of that. But do not think for one minute that was me thinking, huh, I got away with it. It's, I know that for Jesus to be Lord of my life, he has to have everything. And he can use whatever whatever he likes to bring about the righteousness of God in this world. He has my time. He has my money. He has my desires. He has my dreams. Absolutely everything. He has my relationships. Why? Because if he doesn't, he isn't Lord of my life. Yet when he is truly Lord of your life and you believe in him, he rewards you. He doesn't pay you back. He rewards you. He gives you better than you would have got. Seek first the kingdom of God, and you'll have more than you need. Seek your your own desire, your own life, and guess what? You won't. You'll never have enough. But when you seek his kingdom, and you give everything to him, you have life itself. But when you seek that job, or you seek that bank balance, or you seek that car, or you seek that house, or you seek that relationship, or you seek... That leisure time, you won't have life. And you're not bringing the kingdom of God to earth. How can Jesus say this to us? How can Jesus expect everything of us? How can Jesus say to me, it will cost you your wife and your kids? That's how. When you want to know is God a reward or not, he paid for everything, everything that you may have life. He gave up heaven and he came to earth and he died on a cross and he was stripped naked and accused and lonely on a cross for you so that you can have life. If you're worried, well, will God love me? If I give him stuff, will he he give it back to me? Will I be out of pocket? Just look at the hand, the nail-pierced hand. No, you won't. He'll reward you more than you've ever given to him. Ben, can I have you back?